soul. Uh, we're taking our time. We're not hurrying through talking about the soul. Uh, it would be honestly an oxymoron to talk about the soul and then try and do it quickly. Because, because what our soul needs so often is a chance to slow down. It's really caring about the most important part of who we are. It's not a seen part. It's a, it's a part of who we are that, that's maybe hidden because it's, it's on the inside. It's the part of us that communes with God and, 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 and directs our lives. It's the part of us that connects all the aspects, all the components, my memories, my feelings, my emotions, uh, my circumstances, and, and, and unites them into a functional whole. I've got a bit of a funny story. It's funny kind of. To, to share, I've been telling over the last few weeks, I've been quoting um, John Ortberg, who says that your soul is kind of like the operating system on a computer, and you don't notice it until something goes wrong, right? So this week, I popped up my lap, laptop, my MacBook, I opened it up, and I was met with a message that said, your system, your computer shut down due to an error and is re restarting. It's happened before. Computers have glitches. And, and so it rebooted, and about five minutes later, the same thing happened. And then each subsequent restart ended up uh, shorter and shorter and shorter until it, would just, it got stuck in this reboot cycle. Two hours on, Amazon, I mean, on Apple uh, support over the phone, ended up at Brea Mall sitting with a tech there, and he finally patted me on the back. You ever, have you ever been for tech support? And, the, and there's just that little bit of like that condescending, like okay, sure, your computer's broken, I'll fix it in two minutes, kind of, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, yeah, did you, did you restart it, guys, there's that, there's that part, right? And uh, if you ever had a BlackBerry, it was take the battery out, yeah, just take the battery out, well, this guy was like, okay, we'll take a look at your computer, and then at one point, he passed me on the back, and he goes, congratulations, you've actually come in with something we've never seen before. And I thought, Lord, thank you for the, uh, for the illustration. Uh, my computer is now somewhere at some repair facility. And uh, the great thing is, is I didn't freak out. It was, uh, we just didn't lose stride. And, but when it stops working, kind of things come to a stop. I mean, I was opening my computer to get some stuff done. And then my day looked very different. I was not planning a trip to the Brea Mall that day. When your soul gets broken, when your soul stops functioning, you know it. You can't ignore it. And you can ignore your soul for a certain amount of time, but eventually it's going to let you know something's off, something needs to get repaired. And so we've been talking through different aspects of the need and the neediness of soul. If you want to listen to those messages, you can go back. They're available on the app and on our website at Thrive Glendora. Um, but I want to jump right into the message for this morning. The theme this morning, or the title of my message this morning, is The Soul Needs Rest. The Soul Needs Rest. And we're actually going to take probably a couple, maybe even three weeks, to talk about this. Initially, I thought, okay, we'll just do one Sunday on, on rest. We'll just kind of get through that one and move on to other stuff. And, and that doesn't work. You can't hurry rest. Have you found that to be true? Right? Hurry up and rest doesn't work. We're going to take a couple of weeks. We're going to slow things down a little bit. Um, I'm even going to try and 
slow my, just my speech because I get excited, but I feel like I, I don't want us to miss what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. I'm guessing that the, this series of messages will more than likely challenge you. They will more than likely confront some assumptions that you have. If not personally, then definitely as a culture, but I think probably personally. And the reality is this, when we start talking about rest, some people get a little squirmy. Get a little squirmy. We, we, we don't really want to talk about it. We think about it, and we know that we need it, but the idea of resting isn't something that we're completely comfortable with, at least not in a, in a biblical sense, and I want to unpack that a lot. You see, I, when I talk about rest, what so often happens is I start thinking about my to-do list. Anyone else? Taking some time to check out and to just, to just be, but what's constantly playing through my mind is everything I haven't gotten done yet. And so we say things like, well, I'll take half a day off. By the way, as I talk about rest, I'm not talking about just taking a day off. We're going to talk next Sunday about the importance of Sabbath, but I want, to, I want to talk about something I feel like is really foundational in regards to rest. See, in general, as a society, as a culture, we're not good at resting. We do not rest well. And it's not just a culture issue, it's a church issue. You ever feel like in church you're just busy, hurried, going from one thing to another, uh, I've, been, I've been a part of church my whole life, and there's been seasons where I'm so overwhelmed. There was one season where I know we were going five or six nights a week. We were doing church stuff, and I was just so overwhelmed by the, just the magnitude of it. We don't rest well as a church, and, and more than that, it's a follower of Christ issue that we don't know how to rest in Christ. We don't know how to rest our souls and to refresh our souls. When I was a kid, my parents had a book. I never read it, but I saw the cover, and it was kind of cartoony, and, and it still caught my attention. I, I Googled it, and I found one image of this book. It's, it's that old. Um, some of you may be familiar, but it's this book, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. And it, no, no joke, this, I, my parents had this when I was probably 12 years old. It stuck with me. All those years, I never cracked the book open, I never read it. But this little silly cartoon, right, they're, they're going out, it looks like, it's a little hard to read, it was very low resolution, right? But it looks like they're going out for a picnic, they're going to go out and just have some time with each other, and then the little thought bubbles, right? She's looking at the, the washer and dryer. Now, this is kind of older, and so there's stereotypes going on here. Just kind of ignore that, right? He's thinking about his desk and the inbox and the outbox. And, and so even in the midst of trying to relax, their minds have already started thinking about everything that they haven't done yet. Anyone relate to that? Yeah? I think we, we all relate to that. When I relax. And so as a kid, I looked at this and I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. But I didn't fully comprehend and understand what I was looking at. As an adult, I get it. I get it. There's days where when I'm taking time, when I'm resting, that I have to talk myself down from thinking about everything I have to do. Because it has an effect on my body 
which has an effect on my soul. We're going to talk about that a little bit. It's amazing how those little things will stick with us over the years, that many, many years ago, the Lord just planted that picture in my heart, not knowing that even today that I would be addressing this and that it's become kind of a theme in my life. So here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that you don't check out because here's what tends to happen. We start talking about something and you, what the enemy wants to do is this. Oh, you, you've got that. You know about that. You don't really need to pay that much attention. Yeah, you, know, you know how to rest. You've got good balance going on in your life. And so we check out. We stop paying attention. My heart is that you would hear from the Lord. It's not about even what I have to say. I believe the Holy Spirit has some things He wants to deposit in your life and some things and, and, and some assumptions that He wants to challenge if you will slow down and let Him. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Here's why. Rest is an absolutely foundational part of godly living. See, we've bought into a system of thinking that's more shaped by the world than it is by the word. That says you have to perform and you have to do and you have to produce. And if you don't, you are of less value, that you're not as important, that you're viewed in a different light. And so we, we become driven. We call it focus. We call it, right, and we, we laud those things. Successful people do these things. Successful people very often burn out. Successful very often lose their marriages or don't have relationship with their children. And you know that in the Word of God, those things are more important than a supposed success. And then we bring that into our relationship with the Lord or into the context of church. And, and then it's do, 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 do. And we forget about the being part of who we are. And that that being part of who we are needs communion with God. And that communion with God happens in the context of rest. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, says this, By the seventh day God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day He rested from all His work. God rested. He worked for six days. Work is important. We're going to unpack a passage of Scripture this morning that highlights the fact that work is important. What I'm not saying as, as a church or as believers and followers of Jesus Christ is that we shouldn't work, that we should just kind of, kind of pursue the easy life. Because that's what the world portrays, right? Make enough money so that you can just kind of live a life of ease. Go where you want, do what you want, Right, That money is not an issue, and if you have enough money, you'll be happy and everything will be okay. That, that's not what God is talking about. That there is, there's a part of us in our souls that's designed to work. Why? Because God works. God works. He worked in the beginning, in the very beginning. He's working for six days. He's doing the work of creation, and on the seventh day, He rests. He's designed us because we're created in His image with a capacity to work, to produce. But the enemy wants to come and he wants to distort that and skew that and twist that. God rested. 
If God needs to rest, you better believe you need to rest. Amen? Amen? I hope this drops in your heart. If God needed to rest, you need to rest. See, God created a rhythm of work and rest, and it was exactly that. It's a rhythm. Right? When our band played this morning, Andrew was playing the drums, and, and there was a rhythm to, to the music. Tyler's on the bass, and he's matching that rhythm. And as Margie's playing the keys, and, and Jacques is, is playing the guitar, and, and the singers, and everyone, and right, Maria's singing, they're matching that rhythm, and it sounds great. You ever had, heard a band that doesn't have good rhythm? It's not good music. I'm not going to buy that album. There's a rhythm, and it feels right, and it feels good. That's a rhythm that is often missing from our lives. And in the same way that our heartbeats have a rhythm, and it's a, it's a, it's a consistent rhythm, it's a rhythm, the rhythm we can count on, when that rhythm goes out of whack, we feel it immensely. Am I right? That rhythm is important. See, ours tends to be less of a rhythm and more of a jarring motion where we go flat out as for as long as possible until we hit a wall and then we're forced to take some time out or we burn out. And then when we feel like we're kind of recovered a little bit, we get back in and we go flat out again as much as we can. And we honor that and say, oh, look how diligent that person is. But that's not a rhythm And there's a price that is paid for living life that way. Physically, it's not healthy. And there has to be this balance between work and the refreshing of our souls. And and here's the reality, is it can happen at the same time. You know that you can rest and work at the same time. And we're going to talk about a passage where Jesus illustrates this for us. I want to share one kind of technical part with you in regards to stress. We all know what stress is, right? If you know what stress is, raise your hand. Come on. We all know what stress is. We've, we've all felt stress. And, and stress has kind of become a bad word. Oh, I'm so stressed out, right? Stop, you're stressing me out. And the reality is a stress is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, there's two kinds of stress. I want to show you this chart. There's two kinds of stress. On the left side, you have you stress which is a good kind of stress. And then on the right side is something called distress. Not good. If someone's in distress, they need help, right? And you can see there's kind of this arc that shows performance versus the level of stress that we function at. And so use stress is what motivates us. It keeps us focused. It keeps us moving. It keeps us, uh, our attention Uh, where it needs to be. It's that work day when you get done and you've accomplished a lot, but you're just not exhausted. You're kind of, it's exhilarating. And you just, your ideas are popping into your head and you're having good meetings or good conversations or things are getting done around the house. And it's a good feeling. And your body responds accordingly. And there's, there's cortisol and there's, there's adrenaline that comes into play and, and just, you're kind of focused. It's, we're moving into football season, right? You stress is the kind of stress that a football player is feeling before a game. 
and they're getting pumped up. They're getting amped for the game. They've practiced. They've, they've studied the plays. And man, now I'm on the sidelines and coach, I'm ready to go. That's eustress. And it's a, it's a good thing. And so on the, the far left, if, if we're at a point where that level of stress, if we've insulated our lives in such a way that there's a lack of even eustress, what happens is we're lethargic, unproductive, it says they're understimulated and even bored. I would say lazy can slip into there. Slothfulness, as the Bible talks about, this is the part where it's like, oh, God just wants me to just, no, 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 God God has work for you to do. He had, he had an assignment for Adam right in the garden. I've got work for you to do. And so we're supposed to experience some level of stress when we're right in the middle. That's where we're optimally uh, stimulated. By the way, this image, if you download the app in the notes, I included this in there for your reference. But what happens, there's a tipping point where it says maximum performance and we move from eustress into distress where physically our body starts, starts responding negatively. And so our levels of all of the cortisol and the adrenaline and all of these other things is exceeding what is a healthy limit. It's especially true when we fail to sleep, when we fail to eat properly or get any kind of exercise and introduce oxygen into our blood flow, when you start obsessing about things and taking control and saying, God, I'm going to handle this, we move from eustress into distress, and it has an effect on our souls. Here's, here's the reality, church, is that the ability to rest is tied to trust. My lack of ability to rest speaks of a distrust or a lack of trust in God that says, I can't slow down, I can't let go, I have to be on. Because if I am not, everything's going to fall apart. We're not designed to live in distress. We're not designed to live in distress. God's designed us to live on the left side of that chart, not on the right side of that chart. And our soul will let us know. Our souls will be like that warning that popped up on my computer that said, hey, something's out of whack, and if you don't deal with it, everything's going to be, everything's going to shut down. One of my mentors from a distance has been a pastor named Wayne Cordero, pastors a church in Hawaii, and by the way, just found out this morning he's battling cancer, and so we want to be praying for Pastor Wayne, but he shares a story. One of the the most successful pastors in, in the context of what we would define as success, large church, church planter. He's an incredible teacher. He writes books. He's an athlete. He's, an, he's a musician. Um, and I heard another pastor say he's like the 10 talent guy. He's the guy who, like everyone else, is like, why did you get all of... And he gets to live in Hawaii. Um, but he shares a story, and kind of at the peak of their ministry, he was at a conference in Chicago, had gotten up early to go for a run, and halfway through the run, found himself sitting on a curb weeping, and not understanding what was going on. In his mind, he's going, what am I doing? But his soul got to a point of exhaustion where he just his body said, I'm done. You're done. And shut down. And, and so even though he's thinking, I need to keep going, his body would not respond. We have to pay attention so that we don't end up in that kind of situation. We need rest. 
See, there are burdens that we were designed to never carry. There's things that we take on in our own lives that God says, I, I want to I help you out with that. I want to come alongside of you. I want to walk with you. You don't have to shoulder it. You're not designed to carry some of these burdens by yourself. In fact, I would argue that you're not designed to carry any burdens by yourself. And a life lived that way speaks to a segmented or an unintegrated life. As we talk about the soul, those components integrate and they mesh with each other and they inform each other. The person who lives on the side of distress for too long becomes disintegrated. Where I can be successful in one aspect of my life, but everything else is falling apart. And so I just ignore that. Can we just agree that's not good? Hello? It's not good. So, Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. This is Jesus saying to his disciples, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your what? For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this passage. I love this passage. I've always loved this passage because there's something so appealing about it. But can I be honest with you this morning? I don't think I've always fully understood this passage. It sounds good, but it sounds kind of out there. Like, God, you're talking about yokes. And I don't get that picture, and I'm not necessarily feeling it right now. It sounds nice, and I, I want that for my life, but it's kind of out there. And, and, I, and this is the part where I believe God wants to deposit something a little deeper in us. I'm experiencing that as I walk this journey and, and has been studying even for this, this message. A little context, what's happening here. Jesus is addressing not just the disciples, but the Pharisees. See, in the passage right before, they've been challenging him about his identity and who he is. And in fact, the verses immediately preceding this, Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father and how he's connected to the Father and how they're one. And that relationship then opens the avenue and opens the door for us to now come to Jesus because Jesus has a yoke. He's yoked to the Father. He's connected to the Father, and because of that connection, we benefit. See, the Pharisees had been placing burdens on the people in the forms of rules and regulations, laws that they were interpreting from the Old Testament, and they were interpreting incorrectly. They were interpreting in such a way that it benefited them personally, didn't necessarily glorify God. And Jesus addressed, in a few different places, he addresses these burdens, we're not supposed to. God's design was never to overload people with the law, that the law was meant to bring freedom and relationship, not to be a crushing weight. You see, there was no joy in serving God. It was going through the motions. And if you missed a step, if you missed a checkbox, you might as well go back to the very beginning. And the Pharisees would stand at the door of the temple or the synagogue and kind of watch people coming in and call them out in front of everyone else. 
and tell everyone around, hey, this is where you've messed up. Get to the back of the line. And so now shame is introduced into the worship experience. And I've said over the last few weeks, God never shames us. He never shames us. You know, we use that phrase, shame on you. Can I just ask you a favor? Please stop saying that. God doesn't shame us. Shame is the enemy's idea. God is loving and gracious. He expects big things of us, but he doesn't shame. I've discovered it as a parent. Shame is the worst parenting tool. It is the worst parenting tool because it will backfire on you every single time. Maybe not right away, but in years to come. God doesn't shame us. See, for the, the Jews, it was performance and do and check the boxes and make sure you don't miss anything and make sure you don't walk a certain distance on the Sabbath or, you know, when Jesus rubs mud in a blind man's eyes and heals him on the Sabbath and they come unglued over the fact that he worked on the Sabbath and said, this man can't be from God because he did this on the Sabbath, forgetting the fact that there was a man who had been blind from birth who could now see. And they missed the relationship. In fact, that was in our reading this week in our Lectio Divina journal. And I told Megan as we were driving, I said, you know, it's interesting. The irony in that story is that the blind one wasn't the blind man. That the Pharisees were the blind ones. They failed to see a spiritual blindness. See, now for us, we might not carry the same burdens in regards to the law. Right, I, I don't think any of us have like gone through Leviticus this week and said, hey, I just need to make sure that my life is lining up. Right? We, we don't live that way because we understand that we're, w- Jesus completed the law and we're not subject to that law anymore. But we are subject to the word of God. See, we might not carry those burdens, but that does not mean that we're lacking any burdens. See, because we are good at coming up law- with laws for ourselves whether in the context of church or in the context of our homes or even just our own personal lives. How many of us have made laws to govern our lives that don't line up with the Word of God and somehow that we think that we're, we're doing ourselves a favor? Well, I will never do this and I will never do that. And I will never let myself be in that kind of situation. And now we have to live according to these laws, these burdens that have been placed on us or we've placed on our own hearts. And quite often these laws and these burdens are, they they can be spoken or unspoken things, right? You better not show up at church wearing that or looking like that or whatever. Fill in the gap. Or you've been missing, you haven't been to church in three weeks, so you know the next time you walk through the door, people will be like, so where have you been? That's a law. It's a burden. Because it creates distress in our lives that I want to actually walk through the door and face people and have to answer the question. By the way, the better thing to say is, hey, it's so good to see you this morning. I'm so glad you're here. That feels better, doesn't it? But for some reason, we feel like we need to be the Pharisees. Not what God intended. In fact, we've come up with things like this. 
I'm going to say the beginning of this phrase, you say the rest of it. God helps those who help themselves. A lie from the pit of hell. God helped those who were completely helpless. You brought nothing to the table. Nothing. The Bible says that you were powerless in your sin. You had nothing to offer. That that your very righteousness is like filthy rags to God. But we adopt that burden in the church. God helps those who help themselves. No. God helps those who can't help themselves. And as they grow, there's a motivation that grows to live for God that leads us to godly living. You see how that works? So what does God say? What is Jesus saying here? Let's unpack this verse a little bit. He starts by saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. There's an invitation. Always an invitation. Not a demand. An invitation. Because relationship requires an invitation, not a demand. If it's a demand, it's a dictatorship. And abusive. Come to me. I'm available to you. Come to me. Why Jesus? Well, John 14, 6, it says this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And remember I said that Jesus had just got done talking about the fact that he was connected to the Father. That was his place of rest. Jesus took time away to go and pray and be with the Father, to be refreshed in his soul. And because he is the avenue, he is the door, he is the gateway for us to be in relationship with the Father, he says, come to me. I am the way. Do you ever lose your way? You remember like life before GPS, right? Anyone ever have a Thomas guide in their car, right? And you're like flipping through and you're like, okay, where, where am I? And, right? Or you had to print out MapQuest directions before you left, right? And so you got like a lot of stack of papers, right? Man, we've got it so good. We've got it so good. We lose our way because we're not good with direction. And I'm not talking about driving. We're not good at directing our own lives. We stink at it. Come on, let's be honest. The Bible says this in Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to man, and in the end it leads to death. Right? Stencil that and put that on the wall in your living room. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Why? Because we are not good at determining our own path. So he says, I am the way. And if you'll stay connected to me, I will show you the way. And I will walk with you. I am the truth. Why is the truth important? Because there's a liar that is ready to steal God's word to speak destruction into your life, to steal, kill, and destroy. His name is Satan. He is a liar and he is the father of lies. And he stands for the exact opposite of the truth. And if I am not tied to the one who is truth, I will believe the lie. And I am the life. There is no life apart from God. I heard a pastor say this recently. Pastor named A.J. Swoboda up in Oregon. He says, you know, God's desire is to wreck your life. He wants to, he wants to wreck your life in a good way. We have come to think that coming into relationship with God means that he's just going to make my current life better. 
that he's going to somehow improve my current circumstances. And Jesus says, no, I don't want to come in and, and, and make your current life better. I want to come in and get rid of the old life and give you a brand new life. He is the life. And, and I think sometimes we hang on to the old things and we're burdened down by those old things, thinking that, well, God... I'll give you part of my life, but not the whole thing. And God says, no, I want the whole thing. I want to wreck your life for my sake and for yours. We're not in negotiations with God. Hey, I'll, I'll give you this and you give me that. No, it's, it's everything. Psalm 23, 1 through 3 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Nothing. But listen to this next verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Okay, he makes me lie down. He doesn't invite me to lie down, right? He makes me lie down. In the case of a sheep, why is that important? Well, Sheep are, sheep are just weird animals. They're skittish. And, and like if there's a loud noise, they will run in every different direction. They don't know what's best for them just like us. And, and one of the things that happens with sheep is when they're, they're, uh, their wool is, you know, their coat is full and, and they get saturated, that wool gets really heavy. And if they lie down, there's a fear that they won't be able to get back up. They don't have the strength. And so it's the role of the shepherd to make the sheep lie down so they can rest. So that when, and, and then when it's time to get back up, the shepherd will actually come and, and help lift that sheep back up onto its leg. Have you ever felt in your life that you can't stop because if you stop, you might not be able to get going again? Anyone? He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. Now, I just talked about an invitation, and this is not a, hey, I'm going to push you down to the ground with a kind of force. It's a loving make you lie down. It's when your two-year-old is having a meltdown, and you realize it's time for you to take a nap. I'm going to make you lie down because I have the authority, and then I'm going to go lie down, <laughs> right? Can I get an amen? Maybe it's not a two-year-old. Maybe it's your 16-year-old or your 32-year-old. I don't know, but <laughs> Amen. But sometimes we need someone to make us lie down, right? Snickers commercials, you're not you when you're hungry, right? That's this premise, just in a marketing format. We don't know what's best for us, and, and he has everything. We lack nothing in him. He has everything for us. We just don't know what's best for us. And so we need rest to partake, to receive what he has. He goes on, he says, come to me all. All, everyone, no one's excluded. That there's no one person ever who gets to a point where they no longer need to come to Jesus. The person who says, you know what, God, I got this, is living in a place of pride, right? And the prideful heart does not need God, which means that they lose direction immediately. It's like shutting off the GPS, That all, every one of us, no matter where we are in our journey with Jesus, need to come to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He says those who are weary, worn out, 
exhausted, depleted. There's no more fight left. I just can't go another mile, another step. I've got no fight left. He says, if that's you, come to me. Weariness versus what we're going to talk about in a second is the burden is we, we're weary on the inside and quite often we grow weary because of the burdens that we place on ourselves. It's an internal struggle that I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing until I just run out of gas. God says, come to me. Come and, 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 and be in my presence and, 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 and kind of just shift your, yourself up next to where, I, where I'm at. And allow me to carry that weariness. Let me back up a second. Jesus talks here about the yoke. We're going to read that in a second. We're going to get to that part. But he's talking about this yoke. A yoke was a wooden uh, implement that went over the shoulder of the oxen. And there would be a team. There would be two oxen that would pull together. And the yoke would go over the top of their shoulders. And then there was a, a, a device that went kind of around their necks to secure it in place. And then right in the, in the middle between them was a big metal hook. And that's where the farmer would latch the, the plow to that hook. And then he would drive the cattle and they would move through the field. And he would be able to plow the field using the power of those oxen. And so Jesus uses this picture because it would have been familiar in that context in that time. This picture of the yoke. And this is sometimes where we get a little bit lost. Like, okay, so like I'm, like I'm an ox or a horse? I don't get that. But we've got to drill down a little bit deeper. What, what he's saying is this, is, is that, that you have to be partnered with Jesus, facing the same direction, moving in the same direction, and sharing the load. Now, here's what I've come to discover in my life. He carries the lion's share of the load if I let him. If I, if I say, Lord, I, I need to give this to you. What he doesn't say is this, hey, I'll just take it for you, go and hang out and come back and check on me later. Here, here's the, the kind of the irony or the oxymoron is that Jesus is talking about rest while he's talking about work. Remember I said that we can rest and work at the same time? The yoke implies work. And not just like light labor. The oxen would work hard. There was toil. But what Jesus is saying is that when you work with me, that even the hardest work you will find rest in the midst of. So it's not even, we'll, we'll talk about Sabbath and taking time away, but even in the midst of our daily lives that God's saying, even when you're busy, even when your life is full and you've got a lot of things to accomplish, if you are yoked to Jesus, even that work will end up being restful. What he's saying, he's talking about you stress. Before anyone had developed a chart or identified the words, he's saying you're functioning in a place where there's an exhilaration. First and foremost, that you're partnered to Jesus. It's the best part. But he goes, now as we work together, no matter what the work is, that we're going to accomplish more, and in the midst of it, you will feel rested. So, so for those who are weary, you've been trying to do it on your own. You've been trying to give it your own strength, your own wisdom, your own understanding, trying to come about with your own answers. And it's flat exhausting 
what he's saying is, hey, come to me and allow me to partner with you in whatever it is you're facing, and I will give you rest. Not only that, you, I know that there's burdens, Jesus says to us. There's burdens and things that have been placed on your life externally. I know there's people that are connected to this congregation and to the church that we used to be at in Orange County who have family members that were evacuated in the Holy Fire in Lake Elsinore. We have, we have a member of our congregation who had family members up in Reading who, who lost, lost their home. Right, those are burdens, those are things from the outside that you didn't plan on, you didn't ask for, you didn't invite, but they kind of land on you. You know what I'm talking about? And even in those things, the, the, the default setting in, in our culture is this, I'll figure it out. And Jesus says, come to me. Those burdens, I want to help you with those burdens. That, that in every single circumstance, that the very first cry of our heart was, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need to partner with you in this. Jesus, help me see where you're working, to see what you're doing. See, the burdens are the things that weigh us down, and we feel it physically. We feel it internally. It's the distress. It's when those levels of all of those chemicals in our brains and in our bodies exceed what's normal and right, and you start feeling a tightness in your chest, or you feel your heart rate start elevating. I was telling a couple of guys before service this morning, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm preaching about stress this morning and about rest, and I'm feeling stressed. But I'm super aware about the fact that I'm feeling stressed because I'm speaking on stress. It was a weird experience. Become aware of those things and then say, Jesus, I need you in this moment. I need you to bring rest. To pray things like, Jesus, would you calm me down? We use the word in our house, de-escalate. Right? Because we ramp up and we just... You said this, I said that, this circumstance happened, and the next thing we are just like, ah! and we just learned to say, hey, let's de-escalate. Hey, let's just bring this down. Jesus, what you, what's going on? Help us to see, help us to understand what's happening. Saturdays in our house, as we prepare for Sundays, it's a battle. And every now and again, Megan and I forget that we're not the enemy, that there's an enemy that's the enemy. And we have to stop and go, we chuckle about it now. We go, oh, wait, it's Saturday. We get it. Let's stop for a minute. Let's pray. Let's address what's really going on and invite Jesus into the conversation. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. What Jesus doesn't say is, hey, get rid of the yoke. I'll do it for you. By the way, a little parenting tip here. Good parenting involves saying, hey, let's do this together, not I will do it for you. Because that's how Jesus works with us. See, we shoulder burdens we were never meant to carry. But that doesn't mean that we're not so supposed to shoulder burdens. There's things that we should feel the weight of in our lives. But never apart from Jesus. Because without Jesus, it's crushing. And with him, it's life-giving. Without him, it destroys. With him, it's an opportunity. Even the darkest, most... Difficult circumstances with Jesus become an opportunity for life. But there has to be that partnership. So take my yoke upon you. And then he says these words, learn from me. 
One of the things that makes a team of oxen work well is when they pull in the same direction. But if one of those oxen decides, hey, I'm going to go that way, the yoke is going to be strained, the relationship is going to be strained, the farmer's going to be frustrated, and that plow, right, that row is going to be all over the map. How often in our lives do we go, okay, Jesus, I want you to be a part of this. Lord, I want to be yoked with you. And then we still try and go our own way. And so he says, learn, learn from me. Why? Because I know better than you. I know better than you. Can we just establish this? Jesus knows better than you. Doesn't matter what the topic or what the subject is. He knows better than you. Always. And if we can settle that in our hearts and say, Jesus, I feel like I've got this figured out, but, but you know, I need your help. Would you teach me? Would you speak to me? Holy Spirit, would you guide me? You know that it is his great joy, his pleasure, his delight, he's waiting for that invitation to say, okay, let's go. Now, here's the thing. He might direct you in a way that you weren't expecting to go. And you have to be okay with that. See, because we fight and we lose rest because we're worrying about the future. And he's going, if you would be tied to me and trust me and learn from me, I will not steer you wrong. Learn to pull in the same direction. And then he says, when you do these things, you will find rest for your souls. Jesus here is actually quoting the Old Testament. Jeremiah the prophet says this in Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. And he goes on to say, but you said we will not walk in it. Man, we're stubborn. If you didn't know it this morning, you're stubborn. I'm stubborn. I want to do what I want to do. And Jeremiah here speaking to the people on behalf of the Lord saying, listen, stand where you are and look back at what I've done. Look back in the ways that I've moved. Have I ever failed you? No, I have been faithful over and over and over and over and over again. Look at the ancient paths. Literally, those were paths that led from Egypt back to the promised land. And God led them with a pillar of fire and a, and, 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 a, and a cloud. And he says, look what I've done before. Why would you in this moment start thinking that I don't love you and care about you, that I want your souls to prosper and to find rest? And their response is, no, we, we don't want to. We don't want to. Church, this is the point where, where we have to humble ourselves. Because we become like that. I don't want to. Jesus, I love you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to love that person. I'm not going to serve in that way. I'm not going to walk in obedience to that call. And immediately what is introduced into our souls is distress. It's unsettledness because he can't give you rest for your soul if you're not walking with him. He continues back in Matthew, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
You know that this is the only place that we find the word easy in the Bible. Easy, right? Remember Staples came out with the easy button, right? And you just hit it and, right? We want, we want a life of ease. We want everything to be easy. I want things just to be easy. And it's amazing to me that the word easy in the one place that it's used here by Jesus is used in the context of work. Not kicking your feet up in a hammock on a beach. Though that sounds really nice. That he talks about easy in the context of work. That we're called into a partnership relationship with Jesus. Where we walk with him and and there's an ease to our life in the midst of the work that he has for us to do. See, God's designed our souls to partner with Jesus. John Ortberg says of the word easy, he says easy is a soul word, not an assignment word. Do you know that Jesus didn't call the disciples to something easy? I mean, 11 of 12 of them died for what they believed. God calls Moses and he says, hey, listen, I've got an easy assignment for you. Abraham, hey, I've got something easy for you to do. Right, we're always looking for easy. God, I'll do something for you as long as it doesn't cost me a whole lot. If, as long as it doesn't inconvenience my life, because I'm happy with this old life. Remember, God wants to wreck your life and give you a whole new one, and the new one might look very different to the old one. See, He's less concerned about you just having it easy and you being, than he is with you being yoked to Jesus and finding the easiness that comes with a partnership being yoked to him. Easy is a soul word, not an assignment word. And so we have to do some adjusting in our own hearts, in our own souls. So do you find rest? Are you finding rest in the midst of work? Are you finding rest in the midst of the busyness of your day? Let's just be honest. We're busy, right? We're busy. Peter Scazzaro, pastor in New York, says this. He goes, I'm not busy. I'm limited. I have this many hours in a day just like you. And there's a lot of things that fill that up. And every one of us, we could all go around the room and we could just talk about the things that fill our days. And most days, there are not enough time to get things Done, get the things done that need to be get done. You know what I'm saying. You got it. Right? And that's not going to let up. I used to think when I was a kid, oh, I can't wait to be an adult. Because it's going to be so easy. (laughs) Right? College. Oh, I can't wait to get done with college because I can just get a job and that'll be easy. No. And we keep pursuing the easy life, and it's elusive. And Jesus says, stop worrying about the easy life and be yoked to me, and then you'll discover a kind of easy that is life-giving, that is soul-refreshing, that will allow you to find rest. By the way, we can't talk about Sabbath until we have this conversation. Because if I just view Sabbath and time off and time with God as just this kind of this pill that I take 
to just recharge me so I can get after it again, we missed the point. Remember I said, this is foundational for us. God's designed your soul for rest. Are you meeting him in that place? I want to invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward. So the question is this, are, are you carrying his yoke? Do you have his yoke? Or are you burden, carrying the burdens and the stresses of life on your own? Are you looking to go your own way or are you looking to go his way? There's a gentle, loving invitation to partner with Jesus. And my prayer this morning and not just this morning, that throughout this day and throughout this week, that you would become more of aware of the places and invite the Lord to show you the places where you're going on your own. And ask him and say, would you please, Jesus, come alongside of me, allow me to come alongside of you. Take these burdens, take the weariness, refresh my soul, and allow me to see the work you have for me as something that is a joy and not burdensome. And I guarantee you, he will answer you in that prayer. So, Father, this morning we thank you that you've designed our souls with a capacity to rest. Father God, just as you rested, we need that rest. But Lord, I pray that you would strip away the ways that, that we've defined rest according to this world. that we would remove wrong thinking and that we would see clearly and understand clearly your heart for us. Jesus, allow us to partner with you, to be yoked to you in every circumstance, in every part of our lives. Lord, that there is no part of our lives where you say, hey, go for it on your own. But God, that you invite us into that partnership in every aspect of our lives. So I pray, Lord, that we would do that. I pray this morning over the lives in this room that might be burdened or weary. For those who are worn out and tired, God, I pray that in this moment that you would refresh their souls. That you would bring strength and healing in your mighty name. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name. We're going to conclude with worship. Our prayer team is available at the back. They would love to partner with you in prayer. Pray over whatever needs you may have. Let's close as we worship the Lord together. Thank you, Lord.